This is God's word, Romans 16, 17 through 27. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me, and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus, greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages... But has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to to the the only only wise God God, be glory glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Very good. You can take a seat, church. Good job out of you this morning, Harvest Decatur. Well done. Well, we've reached the end of our journey through the book of Romans, and just to remind you about how we've come and where all we've come, I've preached 53 sermons from this book over the last two years, so that's a lot of content. The first series uh, started two years ago, was entitled Holy Unholy, 12 sermons, 17 sermons on a series called Holy Redeemed, and today is the 24th sermon in the series, Holy Transformed. And I know that God has done an amazing work in all of our lives. God has done a great work in my life as we've worked through this book together. And it's exciting to think about how this is a book that throughout church history has changed lives. And we get to be a part of that work. We get to partake in that too, as followers of Jesus Christ. The Puritan preacher Thomas Drex, he called Romans the quintessence and perfection of saving doctrine. I recited that quote to you when we started this series. Martin Luther called Romans the purest gospel. Grant Osborne, one of my professors at Trinity, one of my favorite Bible commentators, he calls Romans the greatest book ever penned in human history. And the poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge says similarly, I think that the epistle to the Romans is the most profound work in existence. This is a great book. And we've worked through it together and we've studied God's word together. I mentioned that two of the great Christian thinkers in church history uh, were saved by their reading of the book of Romans, both Augustine and also Martin Luther. The Protestant Reformation, which we are the beneficiaries of. The Protestant Reformation was largely fueled by Martin Luther's reading of this book of Romans. And here we are in Decatur, Illinois, sharing in those great experiences, being a part of that great history. 
So here we go, Harvest Decatur, one more message from the book of Romans. I want to give you today five final exhortations from Romans. Write these down. Here's the first. As Paul's closing his book, Paul wants the church in Rome, Paul wants the church in Decatur, the Holy Spirit wants the church in Decatur to first of all avoid false teachers. Avoid false teachers. Paul says in verse 17, I appeal to you brothers to watch out to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, says Paul. The word for watch out here in Greek is skapeo. And we get our English word scope from this, this Greek word skapeo. And I, I think that's a good word picture for us. Keep troublemakers in your sights, harvesticator. Keep an eye on them. Watch out for them. Avoid them, says Paul. The Greek word for avoid is the word eklino, and it means to steer clear of, to keep away from. Don't dicker around with false teachers or false doctrines. Stay away from them. Why, Pastor Tony, why should we do that? Here's why. Look at verse 18. For such persons, these troublemakers who cause division, these, the, these individuals who oppose sound doctrine, such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. Literally in Greek, their own bellies. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Now this might sound like kind of an odd place in Paul's letter to start warning about false teachers. You know, you think about the end of a letter, that's the time to be like nicey-nicey with everybody, Right? Well, Paul's still got some things, some strong things that he wants to tell the church. And one of the things that he's telling them now is to watch out for false teachers. And he really hasn't dealt with this issue already in the book of Romans. He's dealt with divisiveness. We touched on that in Romans 14 through 15, more than touched on it. And Paul also throughout this book has taught sound doctrine. So Paul now, as he's closing up his letter, he's trying to tell us, whoever doesn't abide by what I've told you in this letter, Whoever doesn't follow through with the doctrines that I've given you, they aren't interested in the Lord's work. They are interested in feeding their own appetites. They're interested in deceiving naive people, says Paul. Paul, in other places in the New Testament, he he warns the church about the Judaizers, those who want to merge the Jewish law with Christian faith. He warns about those that are called the antinomians, those who don't believe that the law has any work in our lives or that we need to follow through with any kind of morality at all. He writes against what we might call the proto-Gnostics. All these kinds of false teachers who were coming into the church that were trying to break up the church with their false doctrines and be divisive within the church. And I don't know which of those groups or maybe all of those groups he's referencing here. I, I kind of think that he's mentioning or at least referencing all of the above. And saying here, you're a good church, church in Rome. You've done a lot of good things. You've heard the the true doctrine now. Because you're a good church, people are looking to corrupt you. People are going to come in after I write this letter looking to cause problems. And just so you know, Paul says elsewhere in Galatians 1, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that has been preached to you, let that person be accursed. 
Paul knows that false teachers are coming to Rome eventually because they come to every place where the gospel is preached, the pure gospel. I had a professor at Moody, his name is Dr. Newell, and he had these amazing stories of planting churches and preaching the gospel in Indonesia, all of these uh, villages in Indonesia where people came out of animism and came out of these false religions, came to Christ, got saved, and he said as soon as he planted those churches in those villages, it was, it was you know, you could count on it. The cults, the JWs and the Mormons and other false religious groups would come in and try to suck the gospel out of his churches. It's as if they knew that here's a new believer, here's a new church, here's, here's a true gospel preaching church. We got to get in there. We got to stop this. We got to bring this to an end. That's not a new phenomenon in our day. You know, Satan is going to go after those places where the pure gospel is being preached. The reformers used to teach that wherever Christ builds his church, the devil builds a cathedral beside it. Did y'all hear that? Wherever Christ builds his church, the devil builds a cathedral beside it. In other words, the devil is going to go after those places where the gospel is being truly preached. And that's what Paul is warning the church in Rome about here. You're a good church. Got some good things going on. Watch out. The devil has noticed, and he's going to come after you. By the way, let's talk about this. How do we know the true gospel from the false gospel? How do we know true teachers from false teachers? How do we discern the counterfeits? How do we know if something's fake or if somebody's trying to deceive us? You know something's fake. How do you know if something's fake? Just, just in any realm. You don't study the fakes. You don't study the counterfeits. You study the genuine article. You study that which is true, and you know it so well that you can sniff the counterfeits when they come your way because you're so familiar with the gospel, with the truth of God's word. You know when someone's corrupting it, when somebody's twisting it, when somebody doesn't have it right. I think I've told you all before, I, I used to work at Soldier Field, and we would count money after football games and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars we would count in the, the basement of Soldier Field. We'd stay there all night after football games counting cash. And we would take this big stack of cash that came from the concession stands and we would put them in this machine and the machine would count it for us. And the machine was pretty good at finding counterfeits. It would show an error if there was a counterfeit bill in there, a counterfeit $20 bill or a counterfeit $100 bill or whatever. But I'll just tell you, I mean, those machines were pretty good. You know who was really good at finding counterfeits? I had some coworkers that worked with me at Soldier Field, and, and they all worked at banks. I didn't, I didn't work at a bank. I just worked at Soldier Field, and every once in a while counted money. They counted money every day. So they had stacks of bills every day that they were counting. And they, they could tell by the fill of the bill, the paper that was being used. They could tell even by the smell of it, whether or not it's real or inauthentic. That's how you've got to be as it relates to the gospel and the truth of God's word. You've got to know the truth so well. You've got to feed on God's word so well that when somebody comes up and starts corrupting, starts twisting this, you know, wait a second, that doesn't, that doesn't smell right. Something's not right in the way in which that person's communicating or the gospel in which that person is, that, that gospel, the gospel which somebody is promoting. How do you spot gospel fakes? How do you spot doctrinal fallacies? You get to know the truth so intimately, so clearly, that you can scope out that fake a mile away. 
Paul is telling us here, don't be naive, harvesticator. Don't be bamboozled by divisive gospel counterfeiters who want to lead you astray. Know the truth of God's word. Know the gospel. Know the book of Romans inside and out. You're like, we're done with Romans. I'll never go back there again. No! I hope you go back, even if I don't preach it again from this pulpit. I hope you know it so well, so intimately, that you'll never be bamboozled by those who try to corrupt the truth of the gospel. Beware of false teachers. Write this down as well, a second exhortation. Avoid false teachers. Also pursue wisdom and goodness. Pursue wisdom and goodness. I'll be quick with this one. Paul says in verse 19, he says, For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. In other words, everybody knows how obedient you are to the truth, church in Rome. You're famous for that. But don't screw that up by listening to false teachers or tolerating false gospel. For your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Everybody see that in verse 19? I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. That sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? What did Jesus tell us? Jesus said, be wise as serpents. And innocent as doves, Matthew 10, 16. Similarly, Paul says here, I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. How do we do that? How do we do that, Pastor Tony? How do, how do I grow in wisdom? How do I grow in innocence as it relates to evil? Well, in the same way, you study God's word and you obey it. You walk by the Spirit, as Romans tells us. You walk by the Spirit, and when the Spirit tells you don't do something, you say, sir, yes, sir, and you don't do it. You offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, Romans 12, 1 and 2. You do not conform to the world, but you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How else do you do it? Let me give you some other practical advice. You go to church. You go to small groups. You put your kids and harvest kids. You bring them to VBS. You teach them the truth of God's word. You pray like your life depends on it. You pray as a family. You pray as an individual. You pray with people at church. You pray with people in your small group. You cry out to the Lord for the things that you need. Saying, Lord, I'm struggling with this sin. Help me with this. Help me to overcome it. Help me to be innocent as it relates to evil. And at the same time, help me to be wise in the way that you are wise. You stop fighting with people at church over trivial matters. You learn how to disagree, agree to disagree with people who differ with you on non-essential matters. You stop fighting on social media with people who aren't listening. You're quick to listen. You're slow to speak. You love people. And you help people when you can. That's how you become wise and do what is good. That's how you become wise as to what is good. You do that for about 50 years, Harvesticator. Do that again and again and again with discipline. And you will be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Can I, can I get a little more applicationally, a little more applicational here with you? 
If you spend the bulk of your time watching the trash that comes out of Hollywood, instead of listening to God and his word, you will not be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. You will not. You can try it. It's not going to happen. If you are more influenced by music and by movies and by media and by social media than then by God and his word, you will never become wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. There is a war going on right now in our world, a war for your soul and the soul of your children. And there are influences, good and evil. And if your good influences aren't outweighing your evil influences, you will fall prey to Satan and his schemes. Pursue wisdom, church. Pursue goodness. Paul says elsewhere, this is good advice for us in our compromised day. He says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. Those are words to live by. If we want to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Here's the third exhortation. You can write this down. It's number three. We also praise God, recognize Satan's demise. Paul says this in verse 20. He says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Isn't that good? Y'all listening out there? It's a good place for an amen. Let me read it again. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. You might say it's hard, Pastor Tony. It's hard to pursue goodness. It's hard to be innocent as it relates to evil. I feel like Satan's getting all these victories in my life. I feel like Satan is everywhere. His influence is everywhere in our world. And he keeps winning the battle with me in temptation. I keep losing the war to Satan. Listen, hear me on this. You might be losing the battle to Satan, but the war is already won. Satan's days in this world are numbered. And Christ is victorious over him. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. We need to recognize the ultimate demise of Satan and realize that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, here's the big issue with this verse, and you might even be wondering this right now. This is what theologians debate. Paul says the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And the question is this. Is Paul talking about at Christ's return? That future date, that's when Satan's Satan will be crushed under our feet. Is, is, do we have victory over Satan now? Is that a, a reality that we can experience in the here and now? Or is this something that, that awaits Christ's coming? Different theologians say different things about that. Here's my answer to that. This victory, Christ crushing Satan. This victory is kind of like our sanctification. It's already not yet. 
We experience it in part, but the full ultimate victory awaits Christ's return. Does that make sense? Everybody with me? I say, am I holy? Are we holy? Pastor Tony, yes, you are holy, but you're also being made holy. The sanctification is an ongoing work that God is doing in your life. In the same way, you have victory over Satan right now in light of what Christ has done. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. The Holy Spirit can give you victory over Satan. Does that mean you're going to win every battle in this life? No, you're not. Satan's ultimate defeat, his ultimate destruction, awaits the future of Christ's coming. By the way, what Old Testament passage is Paul alluding to here when he talks about the crushing of Satan? It's referring to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. What is referred to as the proto-evangelium, the first gospel. After Satan tempted Adam and Eve in the garden and they sinned, God prophesied over them. And God said this to the serpent. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Y'all remember that scene from the Passion of the Christ, that opening scene? It's a great cinematic moment. At the beginning, when Jesus is the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he crushes, there's that serpent that's slithering through the garden, and Jesus crushes his head. It's a great cinematic moment, but I'll just tell you right now, it's anachronistic because Jesus hadn't even died yet on the cross. Would it surprise you to know that Mel Gibson took a few liberties with the making of that movie? Not only had Jesus not died on the cross for our sin, he had been raised from the dead yet. And what Paul's saying right here is that, yes, there is a crushing that took place when Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead, but there's a full, complete crushing that still awaits when Christ returns. That is our hope. That's what we have to recognize. That's what we have to remember. Even as we struggle in the flesh right now, even as we deal with temptation right now in our world, in the meantime, Harvest Decatur, as we await Christ's return, what do we do? We fight the good fight of faith. 1 Timothy 6.12. We resist, we resist the devil and submit to God. James 4.7. Too many Christians are lackadaisical about spiritual warfare. You gotta fight, church. Satan is after you and your children. You gotta fight. I say, I don't wanna fight anymore, Pastor Tony. I'm sorry, Christ hasn't come back yet. And until that day, we need to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit to resist the devil and his schemes. Welcome to life in, this, in the world right now. This is real. This is happening. Some of you might say, Pastor Tony, I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of resisting the devil. It's too hard. It's too difficult. Listen, hear me on this. I've been reading this trilogy on World War II and reading about these soldiers going into other countries where there is this evil, and they are, they are dying by the dozens, by the hundreds, by the thousands, American soldiers, in order to free and liberate other people from evil. And, and as I read their stories and read about young men who die, I think to myself, they, they fought a good fight for our benefit. 
And did they want to quit? Absolutely. The horrors of that war were atrocious. And yet they stayed in the fight, and they didn't quit. You can't quit either in this fight. And can I encourage you in this? You don't have to fight alone. God has given us this thing, this wonderful thing called the church to help us in this fight. We can pray for each other. Y'all praying for each other? We can help each other. We can keep each other accountable. We can study God's word together and challenge one another and use the gifts of the Holy Spirit to benefit other people. You don't have to fight this fight alone. God has given us the church, the community of faith. Keep fighting. Keep resisting. I wish I could tell you, I've been walking with the Lord for 35 plus years. I wish I could tell you it gets easier the older I get. It doesn't. It's still a fight. It's still hard. But I tell you, the the victories are multiplying. Praise God. And I'm thankful for it. And we can access the community of the faith to help us. Speaking of the community of faith, write this down as number four. Let me encourage you, Harvest Decatur. Here's another exhortation. Cherish the brotherhood of believers that you have in the church. If you remember last week, I guess it was two weeks ago, we read that list of names that list of people that Paul was greeting in the church in Rome. Remember that list of names that only George Bennett could pronounce? So that was Paul giving greetings to the people in church, in the church in Rome. Now he's sending greetings from people in the church where he's writing the letter of Romans. And this is probably from Corinth. So Paul says this in verse 21. He says, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. Y'all know Timothy, right? Paul's right-hand man. Timothy greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, I guess, my kinsman. It was really great last week having Tyler here because we had this opportunity to connect with another church, right? To be benefited by another pastor from another place and hopefully that was mutually beneficial for them and just, just to know like, okay, there's a church in Granger, Indiana called Gospel City Church. They're, they're like-minded. They're doing the same thing that we are in that community. That is so encouraging. This is just, just like what we see here with, with, with Paul, Timothy, and Lucius, and Jason, and Sosipater, and the Corinthian church, giving greetings now to the church in Rome. And then verse 22, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Now, don't be confused by that. You're like, I thought Paul wrote this letter. Who's Tertius? Well, this is what's referred to as an amanuensis, a secretary. Paul, if you read other parts of the New Testament, you know that he had failing eyesight the older he got. And some of y'all know that all too well. And so he needed a scribe. He needed somebody who he could dictate to, to write this down. And that's this guy, Tertius. And verse 22 is Tertius kind of peeking behind the camera, so to speak, and saying, hi, guys, I'm here. Tertius, if you want to study... All of the words of Tertius in the entire Bible, here it is, verse 22, right there. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. And I mentioned a couple weeks ago, too, that, you know, it's interesting about Paul. He, he was always around people. He was a people person. He was always serving alongside people. He always had helpers. He always had co-workers. And, and I think that's just a great picture for us, that Paul 
Paul didn't live in isolation. He didn't even do his work in isolation. He needed help even from people like Tertius to write the book of Romans. Look at verse 23. Here's more helpers. Gaius, who is a host to me. Paul's staying at his house. And to the whole church greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus greet you. You know, the church in Rome, the church in Rome met in somebody's home. Priscilla and Aquila. The church in Corinth met in a home too. They met in this guy, Gaius's home. You know, Christians back then, they didn't have buildings like this. They couldn't own property, so they met in people's homes. And you had to be hospitable to be a church in that day. I, I love the hospitality that's demonstrated here. This is not even a main point, but just something that's just here in the Bible. Gaius, this guy just opens up his house every Sunday for people to come and worship. Can I just say, I've said this before, hospitality as a discipline, as a gift, is a lost art. They did it so much better back then. And I think there's something that we can learn about cherishing the brotherhood of believers and showing hospitality one to another here and live our lives differently than the individualistic lives lived by most Americans. And open up our house to other people. Let me say a few more things about this. And I think generally speaking, Harvest Decatur is pretty good about hospitality. So I might be preaching to the choir this morning. Some of you I know, you open up your houses for small groups. You open up your houses for hospitality. We have a hospitality ministry here at Harvest Decatur. We, we try to be hospitable. But can I just say, I think we can grow in this. We have people coming from another church, another country in a few months, and we have this beautiful opportunity to open up our homes and welcome believers who speak a different language and who come from another country. That is a fantastic opportunity to show hospitality to another person. Can I encourage you to do that? I encourage you to do that, Harvest Decatur, to show hospitality. And this is part of something bigger that I'm trying to convey this morning about cherishing the brotherhood of believers. I just want y'all to know what we have here at Harvest Decatur, what we have as a church family, as a community of faith, can I just tell you that is a rare thing in our world right now. People go on to social media thinking they'll find community. There is no community there to be found. There's just fighting. But we have something here. We have something in the church of Jesus Christ. We have this beautiful community of relationships called Harvest Decatur. I hope you appreciate that. I hope you cherish that. And by the way, I'll be honest, we're not a perfect church. We're not a perfect church. If you're waiting for the perfect church to get invested in, then, you know, you're going to be waiting forever. Charles Spurgeon said once, if I ever find a perfect church, I won't join, join that church because the minute I join that church, I'll taint it with myself. And then it's no longer an imperfect church. It's no longer a perfect church. It's an imperfect church. He's being satirical there. And what he's saying is there is no such thing as a perfect church. And, and let me just say as your pastor, let me encourage you, despite our imperfections, Despite us being an imperfect church, 
we are a good church, and I think you should cherish that and make the most of that and be thankful for that. And by the way, as we pursue community and relationship, that requires some work on your part. Did you know that? All lasting relationships require forgiveness and love and long-suffering. If we're going to have a community of faith that's worth cherishing, we're going to have to learn to love one another. We're going to have to repent when we hurt each other or when we wrong each other. We're going to have to help each other and learn to live together. There are people, I think even in Christian circles, who just kind of gravitate from one church to another every 6 to 18 months. You know, they come here and they get their feelings hurt and they go here. Another 12 months later, they move over here, and they move over here, and they move over here. Can I, can I just tell you, that, that's really easy. It's really easy to do that, just to go from church to church to church to church, or to, to live a churchless Christianity, if there is such a thing. If you want a community of faith, something to be cherished where people love each other and care about each other. You're going to have to forgive each other. You're going to have to repent of your sins. You're going to have to learn to love one another. Let me ask you a hypothetical. I was thinking about this this last week. You know, I I think we think of these apostles and maybe Paul and his friends as like super Christians who never, never did anything wrong. Do you think Timothy ever got peeved by the apostle Paul? Y'all ever think like this? You think the Apostle Paul ever got tired of Timothy's immaturity and just blew up on him? Maybe not the Apostle Paul. I know the Apostle Paul got mad at the Apostle Peter. I have scriptural evidence of that. But, but think about some of these other people. Do you ever think Jason and Lucius and Timothy got into it from one, got into it a time, time or again with one another? I bet they did. And they had to learn to love each other and forgive each other and live with each other. It's worth it to do that. It's worth it, Harvest Decatur, to do that. To learn to love one another in the context of the church. And finally, one more thing, number five, write this down. Avoid false teachers. Pursue wisdom and godliness. Recognize Satan's demise. Cherish the brotherhood of believers. And fifthly, praise the God of salvation. How does Paul end the book of Romans? He ends it with doxology. What a great way to end this book. He ends it by praising God. Look at verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you. Who's the him in verse 25? It's God. More specifically, it's God God the Father. So let me put that in there. Now to God the Father who is able to strengthen you. According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Paul's doing something here. He's connecting Jesus, his gospel, and Paul's gospel. It's not like, well, there's this Jesus gospel, and then there's this Paul gospel, and it's different. No! 
Paul's saying those are the same thing. You can't separate those things. I think people like to separate that in our day. I like what Jesus has to say. I don't like whatever, all the other things in the New Testament. I'm just a red letter Christian. I just do what Jesus said. You can't do that. The Holy Spirit is the author of all of this. And what Paul is saying is Jesus' gospel is Paul's gospel, and Paul's gospel is Jesus' gospel. It's all the same. Praise God for it. Now to God the Father who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. Verse 26. But has now been disclosed. And through the prophetic writings, i.e. the Old Testament, has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Whoo, don't you love Paul's run-on sentences? He's not done yet. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. In other words, May God be praised for bringing salvation to the world. God's plan all along was to bring Gentiles into salvation through Christ. And God's timing was perfect. And God's plan is glorious and gracious. And we, a nation other than Israel, a room full of Gentiles, should praise God for making salvation available to us. That's how Paul closes Romans. Tom Schreiner writes about this passage, the following. You can read this on the screen. He said, God did not desire the Gentiles be saved on a large scale before the coming of Jesus Christ. There are a few Gentiles that get saved in the Old Testament. Ruth comes to mind. Rahab comes to mind. Uriah the Hittite and other foreigners were a part of the Israelite community and were saved, followers of Yahweh. But for the most part, it was, it was an Israelite thing. It was a Jewish thing. And that was part of God's timing. God did not desire the Gentiles to be saved on a large scale before the coming of Jesus Christ. It was his plan the Gentiles experienced the obedience of faith as a result of hearing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who lived, died, and was raised and exalted on their behalf. On their behalf. If a flood of Gentiles were being saved before the coming of Christ, it would lessen the glory of Christ's person and his work. Gentiles are saved through a conscious knowledge of Jesus Christ and his work on their behalf in accord with the Pauline gospel. Note my gospel in verse 25. May God be praised for bringing the gospel to all nations. Not just Israelites. It started with Israelites. To the Jew first and then also the Greek, right? The gospel. But now... As Paul concludes here, the secret is out. The cat is out of the bag. And crazy enough, pagan Gentiles like you and me can get saved. Praise God for that. And this was hidden in the Old Testament. Augustine said that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Now that mystery about Christ the Messiah is revealed. And the obedience of our faith leads to salvation. God did that. God made that possible. God made it possible for this room full of foolish Gentiles to have their sins forgiven, be brought into the kingdom of God, be called the children of God, and we can cry out, Abba, Father, to the God of the universe. 
God did that. And because of that, Paul says, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We can be saved. I'm done. Actually, one more thing. And then we'll take communion. In 1534, the great Bible scholar and reformer William Tyndale, he wrote an exhortation about the book of Romans. I want to close with it. I'll read it in just a second. Tyndale, if you don't know who that is, he was this scholar who was actually put to death by corrupt officials in the church. Why was he put to death, you might ask? Well, he took the scriptures and he translated them to a pagan, vulgar language. The language of English. How dare he? And they put him to death for that. A clergyman once told Tyndale that the clergy, you know, the clergy are the only ones who are qualified to read and interpret the scriptures. That's why the scriptures need to stay in Latin. And Tyndale replied to this clergyman, he said, if God spares my life, then I will cause a simple plowboy to know more about the scriptures than you do, clergyman. When William Tyndale, he wrote a statement about the book of Romans. After reading through the book, he said this, and I want you to take this to heart, Harvest Decatur. He said, now go, reader of Romans, and follow the order of Paul's writing. First, behold your, yourself diligently in the law of God and see there your just condemnation. You are wholly unholy before God. Second, turn your eyes to Christ and see in him the great mercy of your very kind and loving Father. You're wholly redeemed. Thirdly, remember that Christ did not make atonement that you should anger God again, nor did he cleanse you that you should return as a swine to your old puddle again. He wants you to be a new creation and to live a new life following the will of God and not the sinful nature. You are wholly transformed, Harvesticator. This is the book of Romans. Acknowledge your sinfulness before God, Harvesticator, and your need for a Savior. And put your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then, for those of you who put your faith in Christ, live like you have put your faith in Christ. Live like Him. 
Don't go back to your puddle again. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Live like that. Live like that. Pray with me. Yes, Lord, we acknowledge that we are sinners before you, unable to save ourselves. And Lord, thanks to your glorious grace, you have made a way for us to be saved. We celebrate that now. God, this bread that we will partake of It symbolizes your death on our behalf. You died for us, Lord. This cup symbolizes your blood shed for our sins. God, we remember you now. Lord Jesus, we remember the sacrifice that you made to pay for our sins. It's the only way that our sins could be paid for. So Lord, as we continue in worship, as we remember now, God, would you draw near to us? Would you empower us and light of this great sacrifice to live our lives in a pleasing and holy way to you. I ask you to do that in the name of Jesus. Amen.